welcome to another episode of Walkins Welcome. Michael Russell, and I'm here with Gary Okazaki. Hello, everybody. What's up, Gary? It's been a long few weeks. It has. You've been traveling. I've been on the road quite a bit from one night in Santa Rosa, California to go to three Michelin starred and also the 71st best restaurant in the world, Single Thread, um, to I just got back from Los Angeles just a couple of nights ago. So it's been a lot of days of travel, a lot of amazing food. And um, and yeah. it sounds like somewhere in between you found the uh, a new undiscovered dining uh, city. <laughs> <laughs> the place all you New York uh, food editors listening are going to have to go uh, and check out next year. Boise, Idaho. <laughs> it was yeah, hot. Yeah, baby. It was hot. 97 degrees, 98 degrees every day. Hot, but also in the sense of hot. Like, yeah. Well, like now. yeah. I mean, I Boise's like... time is now. Can we say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it was better than I expected. If I were to move there, <laughs> no. Well. Come on, commit it, to the bit. Well, if it's kind of like elevated. It's, it's going to sound really pejorative, but it's like elevated Applebee's food. I mean, wow. but I, I, I mean, wow. Boise no. just called there upset. No, they shouldn't be. <laughs> it, it's like, it's actually pretty good. Um, I, I, I need, I'm going back two more times before the year's out and not to eat, just to check it out. Well, you did post one photo at, I don't remember the restaurant, but some venerable place. And I looked at it and I did think, oh, it kind of looks like the hospital food at Providence. Which uh, is actually really good. <laughs> yeah, it, it says a lot about how I good the hospital was food going, is. Well, I was thinking about going there tonight at tip for, because um, there's chicken on the menu tonight. I, I called. Uh, really? Uh, but yeah, I, but I did find my favorite donut shop in the United States in Boise, Idaho. Okay, that's amazing. Guru, Guru Donuts. God, I love that place. Why? What's so great about it? I love the uh, unique flavors. There was a Girl Scout donut with um, chocolate drizzle, caramel sauce, and toasted coconut. There was a... Do you think uh, the, the Girl Scouts get a cut? <laughs> I think they get well, a taste. Doesn't Delicious Donuts? They, they do... Delicious like, actually, Donuts definitely They actually did, do yeah. put Girl Scout cookies on top of their they did. donuts. But I, I, I just enjoyed the um, kind of the unique flavor combinations, and they were reasonable. They weren't... Well, I don't know how much Blue Star Donuts are these days. Four bucks, five bucks. I don't know. But I, I, but all my donuts at Guru were under three, and um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland. I can't remember. That was also a donut that I remember that was actually really, really good. And I'm, I'm gonna go there every time I'm in Boise. I'm gonna go there at least once, if not more than once. I went every day when I was in Boise there. But yeah, there was. A all good right. Topic. So what were there? I mean, we're kind of yeah. joking, but were there highlights in yeah. Boise? I mean, yeah, I think I'll, you said on uh, social media that you thought you were impressed with the scene there. I thought it was better, like it's better than I expected. Yeah. Alavita. Is a place that does uh, pasta. They make their pasta fresh every day, and I had a bolognese pasta and bolognese dish that that st- that would stack up against many of the pasta dishes here in Portland. And I had a, 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 a Manila clam pasta dish also at Elevita. They also co-own Fork, which is pretty much right next door. Went there for brunch. Had a fantastic vegetable hash dish for brunch, and it was packed. It was. The, the, the places that do well in Boise do really, really, really well. I mean, mm. they're just, and they're all, one nice thing about Boise is all the, all the best restaurants are basically located in the same little area in downtown Boise. So you just walk from one to the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because the, 
the Portland beer scene has migrated over there. There's a 10 barrel, uh, what technically Ben beer. Um, and also, uh, Prost, the German beer bar opened a location out there a while back. So there's, there's sort of some beer ties, but I don't know how many, I don't know how much like the Portland food scene has gone East yet. Although I do hear people saying, Oh, we can, we're going to move to Boise soon. I think you talk about a couple like Joe Marie and Ross from Ava jeans who are opening a restaurant in, Joseph, Oregon, which is like six hours east of Portland. You're talking about halfway to Boise at that oh, point. Okay. I think you are going to see some talent leaving Seattle and Portland and going east, and eventually they'll find Boise because it's a cute little town, right? Yeah, it is. It's 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 this town I would love to live in that I consider living in. By the way, the, I guess the beer scene in Boise is actually pretty big. Yeah, they're serious about beer. I think most West Coast cities are. And then, I mean, yeah, I think from just judging from your Instagram, Boise's still in its uh, in its bacon phase that Portland left in the late two oh thousands. God, I like that place. Okay, bacon, so it's a restaurant bacon. that just serves bacon, right? Yeah, okay. it's a place that's called Bacon. And in, early in the morning, very imaginative name. Said, How'd they come up with the name? Did you ask? What? How'd they come up with the name? Bacon. I'm kidding. Because <laughs> they have bacon and everything, right? Pretty much. They had mac and cheese. I had mac and cheese at 8 a.m. in the morning. We had a food in. cart here six or seven years ago in Portland that had bacon. And it was that's all they served. And I went one day because, I, you know, for professional reasons. And I asked right. for a, I was like, okay, I'll have a bacon. And it was like one slice on a little piece of paper. I tried <laughs> it. I was like, you know, this is fine. It's not like the best bacon I've ever had by, uh, you know, any stretch of the imagination. And then... I just kind of forgot about them, but I think that that kind of late two thousands Portland vibe is is uh, alive and well in Boise. Can we move on to yes. L.A. because that's what people want to hear about? Uh, you were down in L.A. I know you went to Nightshade again. You went to Auburn, yes, a new Auburn. place, and uh, Cato. Is that the other one? Yes. Okay. I went to like fifteen, but those were those are the three highlights. Well, Yamakase is it's my it's now my favorite Japanese restaurant. In Los Angeles, it, the price varies depending on the ingredients Chef Yamamoto gets. Um, it, the bottom level price is two seventy. It goes up from there. Like I said, we don't know. I didn't know what it was, I was going to be charged until I actually got the bill, and it was three hundred thirty dollars prior, before taxes and. Was, was that higher than you thought it would be? No. No, I, I didn't know what to expect. I, I had no idea. Three hundred That 300 for the very top-end Japanese restaurant, it's like 300 is pretty much the going rate these days in big cities. Urasawa. I mean, most... Where's Urasawa at? 400? 400 plus. Yeah. I, I, I think 300 is kind of stretching it. Most are in the two. The first digit is a two. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I don't know who is in the threes other than Masa, which is probably in the fives or the sixes of the first mm. digit. Yeah. And Urasawa... Well, sushi show in uh, Honolulu. Well, how, yeah, you went. Yeah. How it was? It, was the base price like three hundred? Three, plus? yeah, three hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I love Yamakase. Um, that's the name of the restaurant, and uh, the the chef there uses naturally all really like luxurious ingredients: black, oh, black um, Australian winter truffles, a lot of Hokkaido uni, otoro. I mean, just the best of the best. Yeah, it sounds incredible. He he. It was interesting. The omakase, the first time, I, it was an odd kind of weird omakase. Like, for example, one dish with a toro with parmesan, shaved parmesan. Mm, interesting. It was Umami just, through it was the odd. roof. Right. But it was great. Yeah, yeah. Why I, not? I, he served ramen during the omakase again, which was really odd. The funny thing is how, like, parm, there's some 
some parm, aged parm specifically, has that exact smell of um, aged steak, oh. aged beef. So yeah. that's a really interesting. Like you've got this kind of red fish flesh, and you're you're kind of inserting uh, the smell of aged beef into it, sort of. Or and it, and it worked. That's cool. Uh, and. Um, Auburn was fantastic. Okay, so tell me oh. about Auburn because I think that's not a place that's on many people's radar. But I know they just recently were reviewed in the Times. Yeah. Uh, LA Times. And um, what else? I, What's the story? I wanted to go when it first opened because the chef there is Eric Bost. And his background impressed me. He was the opening chef at Guy Savoie in Las Vegas. He worked for Chef Savoie, I believe, in Singapore. Uh, he he was at Alain Ducasse at the Plaza Athene, and his 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 job prior to opening up Auburn was number two, he was the number two person at Republique, which I also went to Republique. It's it's a fantastic again that's another fantastic restaurant. Uh, we may or may not talk about that later. But yeah, Auburn is interesting in the sense that you can go. I think it was four dish option six or nine, something like that. So there are options about how many dishes you can order. And um, so they put the menu in front of you. You can have three desserts and one savory. You can have, you know, nine savories, no desserts. So it was it was fun in the sense that I was with my friend Thomas and we just ordered just a bunch of different things. And yeah, it was very elevated. It was, I think, four for 95. That's what we decided to go for. Wow, that's a pretty good value. Yeah, it was. And... The dishes were, it was sort of, it was kind of sort of casual, but also fine dining and uh, elevated, sophisticated. The desserts were really, really good. Um, you you liked the, remember there was one with a um, mushroom and caramel? That's one of the desserts? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was Very Di- pretty. The pastry chef is Diane Ng, who worked with Eric, Chef Eric Bost in Las Vegas at Savoie. Uh, the desserts are really um, kind of unusual. There was an aerated thing, you know. You saw that was called Rose. Mm-hmm. The aerated that that thing is like an I think it's an Adria, it's a Abouille thing. So it's not like she's reinvent. She's not inventing new things. Maybe the flavor combination is a little bit different. But presentation yeah. is just beautiful. Yeah, she's a yeah, she's a talent. Very, yeah, she, she's now in my top, probably in my top ten for best pastry chefs. Wow. In the country prior, I didn't know any, I didn't know anything about her. So it sounds like you went from there, and then you made an impromptu stop at Nightshade, which is a place yeah. we've talked about in this podcast yeah. before. Yeah, uh, it's Malin, uh, formerly of Inc., winner of Top Chef's Restaurant in Los Angeles, uh, and you've loved it in the past. Oh and, yeah, and uh, you know we're going to sort of talk about pastry and dessert a little bit more later in uh, this episode, but. Um, you know, I, I was curious if you had any other more general thoughts about this second visit to Nightshade. It's actually, this is my third visit. Um, oh. It's actually, my experience at Nightshade this past trip was my, the most memorable part of my trip in the sense that it was very impromptu. I was I also went to Angler, Los Angeles. Right. Joshua right. Skeens is. Your food looked great there too. Yeah, yeah. And Chef Skeens is very kind and generous to us that night. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we were eating at, Angler, I posted a picture and May you know, like DMs me and says, "Are you in LA?" I said, "Yeah." I said, um, "I'm in I'm in Angler now." And she said, "I want to go with you." And I said, "Well, I you know I'm all the way across town." And so she said, "Come on by." 
This is Max's last night. Max Maxaboon. I, I can't really pronounce his last name. I'm going to butcher it if I try to pronounce his last name. But Maxaboon is uh, is the chef de cuisine at Nightshade, but he's also the de facto pastry chef. He's leaving for Bangkok uh, very shortly. And that's, that's crazy. I mean, I, I feel like. Uh... His desserts were recently on the cover of Food and Wine right. magazine. I feel like just I've I haven't had a chance to go down there yet, but I'm just have been sort of salivating over. I mean, if there's one place in America that I've been wanting to go, and it's it's Nightshade, and the desserts were a large part of that. Um, they're really um, stunning. They're very architectural, um, uh, beautiful. The one that was on the cover of Food and Wine is it it, it it's like. Uh, I think Earl uh, from Paddy here commented on Max's uh, post, or Earl from Longbun, I guess, and he said it looks like bowls. And how why are there so many bowls inside that bowl? But the dessert <laughs> looks like like a bowl inside a bowl inside a yes. bowl inside a bowl. Yes. I have no idea what it tastes like, but it's really it's fantastic. Stu- it's stunning to look at. Yeah, and so we, uh, my friend Thomas and I drove all the way across. So town. him, him well, leaving seems well, like a big deal. It is. It is. Well, we can talk about the whole pastry thing, and but I mean, as far as the why it was so compelling yeah, yeah. for me is like. We got there five minutes before it was supposed to close, and they were still pretty busy. And May May came by with um, uh, May and May and Max came by. Then John Yao showed up, who is the owner of Kato, who's also one Michelin star, twenty seven years old, uh, amazingly talented chef. And we just pulled up a table, and we just sat down from eleven until one a.m. We just started talking, convincing, gossiping, having a good time, eating. Uh, May May just you know had went in went in and, and May and Max went in and made some things and brought it out to the table. stuff from the menu or just whipped some stuff up. Oh, it was, it was stuff from the menu and mm. um, and yeah, she, stuff from the menu and everyone else is gone and we just staff was cleaning up and we just sat there that and talked for amazing. two hours. Just just you know they're Asian Americans. I'm an Asian American and my friend Thomas is Asian American. Then Wendy Max's girlfriend showed up. She's Asian American, so. It was just um, it was just a nice time. It's a it was it, it was an indelible memory for me on this trip. So yeah, it, it sounds like you found a real sense of community there. Yeah, a- after you guys hung the no whites allowed sign. <laughs> now it's funny that you mentioned that, and you also want to move to Boise. <laughs> I, I know, right? I yeah. mean, like, I know. you know, you, you're, you're, I don't know how many, uh, you know, impromptu meetups with like five incredibly talented <laughs> Asian American chefs is gonna, is that's not gonna happen. In I, Boise I looked at often. the airplane, airplane flights from Boise to L.A. and Seattle and to Portland. There's enough, so I can come back. And well, if you're looking for a meetup with like a bunch of fourth generation Basque people, oh then, yeah, uh, most Boise definitely. is a place for you. Most definitely. Well, that that did sound like a really memorable experience, and. Um, you know, I'm curious, like, I don't know. Okay, so let's just say Max's desserts are very beautiful to look at. You say they're very tasty. Where would you factor? I mean, I know you love to make lists. Where would you put Max in your, like, best pastry chefs in America list? And because and, I think that that is actually maybe a good way to quantify why him moving to Bangkok as you – I didn't know that till you posted it, but – why that might be a bigger deal for America's restaurant scene than people seem to be making it so far. He's really, really creative in the sense that I never experienced desserts like Max's and I travel around the world eating desserts. Mm. I love desserts. He's actually number two behind Thomas Raquel from Bernadette. Juan Contreras, there's like a group, 
you know, it's Thomas Raquel, then Max, and there's a group of three or four there, really Juan Contreras from Atelier Cren, Nick Muncy from Michael Mina, Yannick Domensu, who's uh, overseeing the entire 165 um, uh, project in San Francisco. You know, these three plus people like um, Diane Ng, Stephanie Prida, Anna Bowles from uh, Per Se. Stephanie Prida does the desserts at the grill, the lobster room, lobster club, and the pool. Um, so yeah, there, and, uh, Jiho Kim from The Modern. There's uh, just a lot of talented chefs in the United States. I have others, you know, I have others from the world that I also enjoy. World you know, pastry chefs from outside of the United States that are incredibly talented. Um, yeah, Max's desserts are like things I had never seen before. There's a silken tofu dessert, which I finally got a semi-decent picture at of like a couple days ago, where silken tofu, chia seeds, and Japanese baby peaches. Yeah. That, that sounds amazing. It is amazing. I've never had anything like that. He has a cola dessert. <laughs> yeah. That's Again, so funny. Yeah, I mean, he... He's just doing things that I've never seen before. Tind Matt Tinder, who's no longer a pastry chef, he's one of the best bakers in the United States. He owns Saboteur in Bremerton. He did things I'd never seen before. Um, and it's unfortunate that he he left the the dessert game. Because he used to be at Restaurant Maidowood twice. He was the Aqua, and he was at Saison as their head pastry chefs. So he's ridiculously talented. His resume is like unlike any other maybe in the world, and he's now one of the best bakers in the country. So, I mean, I'm just flipping through some of his desserts here online, and I, I if you just Google Nightshade Max desserts, some or of them. Or Maxaboon. That's also his Instagram handle. Yeah, either his Instagram or just Google. I mean, and he has one dessert that looks like, it just like looks like marble in a, yeah. in a marble bowl on a marble table, and then you crack it open, and what's underneath? I don't know. I have my, Lava, I think. Yeah, I have my Flickr. I could look at it. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I mean, that's uncanny. I, I think that, like, you know, this is actually... Uh, you told me um, of many times that your favorite pastry chef, as you just said, is uh, in America is Thomas Raquel at Le Bernardin. And if you look at his desserts, he's... I think his specialty... I, mean, I know he does more than this, but his real specialty is creating things that look like other things. I mean, I think they call it trompe It's the French oh. term for it. T R O N P. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that word. It's 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 actually I think an architectural term originally, but it just means something that looks like something else, but okay. isn't what it is. And he, he might create an apple where the skin is shiny and it's dotted, and it, it just looks exactly like an apple. But then you bite into it, and it's filled with mousse, like, and it's right. fake. I mean, he's painted it on with some kind of syrup and. Um, Coffee and donuts is also something he did that I, w I was just at Lemurian in last month. A, fa a famous uh, coconut dessert yeah. that he makes is that's just uh it looks exactly like a coconut right. and then it's not a coconut i mean or, or i mean you see this in the savory world too with heston blumenthal has a famous orange that's not an orange it's uh at uh, dinner by heston blumenthal yeah it's uh it's uh, is it an orange it's a it's it, well it's, it's called meat pie. meat pie it's like there's mousse or it's an orange it's, or a clementine or yeah, some kind of yeah, citrus but yeah. it looks just like it and then you open it up and it's not you it's know, amazing it's, by the way so you see this in savory but i think you see it more in in pastry. So, I mean, I think you have like, there's, there's maybe th three different, th you know, threads of desserts. There's like people who are really classical and maybe they're updating the classics with modern, and maybe everyone's using modern techniques, but you know, you have the classicists that are riffing usually on French desserts. 
you have these Trump lay people who tra- like uh, Thomas Raquel who can recreate things so visually perfectly that you it's uncanny. And then you have people like Max who are maybe inspired by art or architecture or just abstraction. Um, and, and sometimes all these things kind of play in together and, right. and, and weave themselves. And, you know, not every pastry chef just does that one thing. I don't want to even the people we've mentioned, uh, you know, I think Anna Bowles might be more of a classicist, but she yeah. does all sorts of other things, too. So I wonder, you know, do you have a favorite type of dessert? I mean, in those threads, is there a specific thing or what do you look for in desserts uh, when you're sort of ranking these people in your head? I do. Presentation really is kind of important to me, especially with desserts. I don't know why, but it, it, the more striking a dessert is, the more memorable it is for me. And obviously the, the, the flavor profile of the desserts is, is, is paramount too. Um, I, my, my, the, I tend to like the more creative types like Max and Juan Contreras from Atelier Cran. They're doing things that at least I haven't seen before, or even Matt Tinder when he was at, you know, any of the Qua or um, Cezanne. And uh, I love the classic dessert, like class, like, you know, the classical desserts, let's say the Baba Arum from Ducasse. Mm. I mean, wherever you go to a Ducasse restaurant, most likely the Baba Arum would be on there. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's nothing more, one, it's got to be one of the most iconic, iconic desserts in the world. And I always look forward to it. And I always, I order it a lot, more than I should. And yeah, um, the, the number one pastry chef in the world from San Pellegrino is Jessica Priapato, who is at Alain Ducasse at the Plaza Etienne in Paris. And I was there this year, and I had um, Jessica, before she was named the world's best pastry chef. Best chef. And it was um, interesting. Like her desserts, like I ordered one dessert. I might have said this in prior podcast, which the the server said to me, just be aware that's really bitter <laughs> and that it was just, just chef Jessica just wants you to wants to push the boundaries of flavors and make you experience maybe something you haven't in before. And I said, okay, I'll let me try it. And it really was better, but bitter, but it was very intriguing. And there was, I also ordered all the cart of peanut butter dessert. Um, that was $50, $50. But any at three Michelin star restaurant where you're going to order dessert a la carte, you're going to pay 50, around $50 for an a la carte dessert. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. That's yeah. high. Yeah. Well, you do something that is, I don't think is unique to you, but you're probably one of only, you know, a few dozen people who do this. And certainly to your average Joe, this is a very, something you probably would never think to do, which is that you go to some of the best restaurants in America, in the world, in Portland as well. And you just go and order flight of desserts you just do you know or maybe you'll do one savory course and five desserts or yeah i mean we've done it together at castagna here in portland um uh when geo was still the pastry chef Um, now she's at smith in chicago and yeah i think that's really interesting now all right so for for the average joe who would never think to do that like just i'm gonna go to a you know a three michelin star restaurant and order just the desserts. Like, why do you do it? Um, what do you have to sort of do to prepare in advance to make sure? Because it's not something that you find on their websites typically. Or, or you know, do you have to call ahead to reserve that? Oh, and then the third I, thing is, d- do you ever worry that it's almost like a slight to the savory side of the kitchen that you're 
Okay, so there's three questions. I, I don't think it's a slight. For example, a couple of years ago, I went to Per Se and only had the dessert tasting. And you could just walk in. There's, you don't have to reserve anything. You just show up. You sit in the salon and you say, I'd like to have the dessert tasting. And they'll send you out the dessert tasting. So the salon is like the front room yeah. and it's a la carte. So yeah. yeah so, so it's a little different than Per Se where you, you're making a reservation. You're spending right. boatloads of money. Yeah, and then and they're they they will offer you any dessert from the main no, restaurant. No, Anna Anna puts together the dessert tasting the way she I mean she she puts it together. Is it on the menu or she when no, you say I puts did, it I together? I didn't see a menu. I didn't see a menu. I just said I want I would like the dessert tasting. She they just sent out desserts like four or five. I can't remember ten. I, it's a lot. So oh, and how much would that cost? I forgot how much it was. It wasn't it wasn't out of the, it wasn't wasn't ridiculously ridiculously expensive. Well, if you had ten desserts. Well, and you said for fifty each, like could that two, be five hundred dollars? Two years ago, no, God, I, I think it was probably under a hundred. Oh, well, like, really? I, I'm assuming it was. It's been a while since I, since I did that. Do you I think once, they threw a few extra in just because they thought, oh, here's a funny guy getting all the desserts. Let's show, let's maybe, show off. Because they blew me out. I went to Per Se last month. They blew me out at Per Se, the, yeah. per se a couple of weeks ago, and um, I also did a ten course dessert tasting. Interestingly, at Kato, like a couple of years ago. A year and a half ago, a year ago, I walk in, like my friend Thomas and I were like doing a crawl and like we had like an hour and I said, and Thomas said, you know, Kato's doing a, a dessert tasting. I said, really? Let's just show up. So I really didn't know John and Max. Max was the pastry chef at Kato at the time. And I sh- we show up and Max says, hey, hey, Gary. I said, yeah, we want a dessert tasting. And he said, okay. So there was like 10 courses, <laughs> 10 desserts, 10 dessert, 10 desserts that night. It and sounds amazing. It was fantastic. I think it sounds really fun. And I know that there are some restaurants that are, there have been pop-ups here in Portland. There's a restaurant in New York I read about where they actually, it's that's all they do is a dessert flight. But I personally think it would be more fun to do a dessert flight at a restaurant that's known for more than that, but happens to have a great pastry chef, you know, the same way a vegan meal at a, at a great restaurant right. is probably better than the, of you know, a regular meal at a great vegan restaurant, right. you know? Right. I, I once did 18 desserts in one sitting. And in one place? Yeah, in one place. It's Pierre Garnier in uh, Three Michel Star, Paris. They make the shampoo? Also. What? They make the shampoo? <laughs> Was Pierre Garnier Fructis? Really? Is, that, is there Pierre Garnier Fructis? Well, I, he does I don't think stuff. so. But it was, I, I did 18 desserts, which also included the pre-desserts. The 18 includes the pre-desserts. I did pre-desserts? Sa- what? Pre-desserts? Yeah, there are pre desserts. Is that like an insulin shot? It was like a little smaller. <laughs> <laughs> it's like smaller, little bite sized things before the main desserts. There were like 18 of them if you count every, the desserts and the pre desserts. And I did order one savory, which is like six, you know, six different plates because that's how Chef Garnier rolls. But I, I got so high on sugar that I couldn't sleep. And I was supposed to go to Charles de Gaulle like at 6 a.m. in the morning. And I had, I had um, Ambien with me. I took Ambien. And it had no impact on me because I was so sugared up. Wow. And I had stayed up all night and I just went to Charles de Gaulle the next morning. You sleep on the plane? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was rough. I uh, learned. That's horrible. I, but I have a story. 18 yeah. desserts at Pierre Garnier, Pierre Garnier at Five Rue Balzac in Paris. Were they and, incredible? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They weren't. He doesn't have a dedicated. I don't know. I don't think he has dedicated pastry chefs at, yeah. at his restaurants. They're usually from him. They say he has something called the Grand Dessert, which depending on where you are, it could range from five desserts up to like nine. Huh. And in Paris, it's not, it was nine that night. 
Well, it's interesting because I we were texting ahead of this, and I said, "Oh, well, what are who are your favorite pastry chefs?" And you shot back five or six names, and they were all guys. And I was like, "Well, that's interesting because, I mean, in the world of restaurants, you often women often get kind of shunted into pastry. I mean, maybe some people want to do pastry, but I think there's also this thing where you start in the savory side and you kind of get pushed over there. So it's funny that like ninety plus percent of pastry chefs are probably women in America, at least. But then these very, very elite, I mean, I don't know if this is just a sexist societal thing or what, but. Well, what's interesting is for six, uh, the, there's something called the World's Best Pastry Chef uh, Award given by Sam Pellegrino during, you know, the, they're honored at the 50, you know, World's 50 Best Restaurant Ceremony. Yeah. But it's only six years old, if I remember correctly. And there are five out of six of the winners have been male. Wow, that's annoying. Uh, Jory Roca and Albert Adria from Spain. Uh, Pierre Hermé, Dominique Ancel, Cedric Grelet, and just the last, only female <laughs> is this last year, Jessica Priopato. And but, two of the yeah. six are from Alain Ducasse restaurants. One, Grelet is from Lone Maurice, hmm. and Priopato is from... Well, they, you know, they, have, they do have a larger issue at the world's best restaurants list of, you know... Yeah, men dominating the restaurant list, and then they have that women, you know, greatest female chef award, which is super lame. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. I think that's kind of like, I, it, it's weird and sad to me that they would do that. And uh, uh, James Beard Award also has an outstanding pastry chef category and an outstanding baker category too. But I, two years ago, I counted, and I'm pretty sure that of the twenty semifinalists who were Name for the outstanding pastry chef category. This is two years ago. I think tw- all twenty were female. Okay, well that's better. Well, is it is there is it a discrimination against? Is it reverse discrimination? Well, is I don't Tom know because, McCall- like I said, if you think about the breakdown of men to women in pastry chefs, generally in America, it's largely women. So the fact that oh, even there, point. you know, I mean, it isn't it isn't reflective of. It would be reflective of the reality to have twenty women there. You know, I mean, okay, that's or, actually or, or eighteen women and two men, but it, it's. I don't know. That's that. I imagine if I was a woman and a pastry chef, especially, I'd be very frustrated by that. Right. And I feel bad for Tom because he really is the best pastry, in my opinion, is the best pastry chef in America. Uh, yeah, what, his. I highly recommend googling this guy. And, There's some videos online of him at work, and he's like a wizard. And he's never been nominated for a James Beard Award. It's like Michael Jordan not winning the MVP. <laughs> The six years he won the NBA championship <laughs> or yeah, not even be nominated, like not even finishing the top five. Much didn't he, not, didn't he miss out one year? Didn't Carl Malone I'm, win? Uh, I'm not uh, sure if one he year. was MVP all years. I think he was MVP in the playoffs every year he won. Uh, every finals MVP. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure right. about the regular season though. I think there was one of those championship years where Carl Malone won, but I oh, as the loser, the, the but then lost in the finals. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Right. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> not that we're going I'm a little <laughs> off topic here, but um, I think it's really curious. I mean, you, you were going to, uh, we were sort of talking ahead of time about what we look for in a dessert. And I think like for me, it's the um, um, uh, strength of flavor is really important because I think, you know, in some respects, the, for me, the best dessert is just some really, really ripe fruit on a plate. Oh. And, I'm talking about being at home, a really great peach that you eat over the sink or, you know, frankly, 
we were out at a restaurant the other day called Berlou, a new place in Portland. It's kind of an exciting tasting menu in a very like white uh, walled <laughs> space. Everything's white. And the chef, um, Vince, um, offers a relatively affordable tasting menu. It's 80 bucks a head. Including service. Including service. The ingredients aren't like very uh, luxurious. I mean, that's partially how the, they have minimal staff. I think it's four people or so. And then the, you know, you'll, one dish will be based around zucchini. Another one will be based around chicken. So like it's not ingredients that you generally see at a high end tasting menu, but the execution and the presentation is appears like a fine dining restaurant um, or, or, you know, an elevated Michelin starred restaurant, let's say. And one of the desserts at the end of the meal is just berries on a plate or fruit on a plate. Um, and it, I don't know, to me, like that course was a little bit like, it was, he told a fun story and it was kind of cute, but it, it, you were kind of like taken out of the experience of that restaurant at that point. But I, I can, I do appreciate that as a dessert. So I think the talent and skill with some of these pastry chefs we've been talking about is like taking that experience of just like, you know, that purity of flavor, but then finding ways to maximize it. And, and that's, that's a big role of being a pastry chef. Well, at Berlou, one of my favorite desserts that I've had actually this year period was Vince's desserts prior to fruit on a cute plate. That's actually the title of it. There's a story behind it that Michael talked about. There's no need for me to get into it. Nope. But, the one be- <laughs> but the one before that is uh, cherries. It was like an omelet dumpling. What made it, what elevated it was tomato tea. I don't yeah. know if it's when you went. It was still there. It was still yeah. on. But I it was it. wild. And I would guess, okay, I will say that that is going to be a controversial dessert in this city. Partially because it's so savory. Um, I think savory desserts are kind of the next step, sort of. I mean, it's weird. Like, it's counterintuitive. And he made these pure white dumplings out of almond flour. There's very nice, you know, in-season cherries. And then there's this deep tomato tea. And I believe there's an oil made from anise hyssop or something. uh, Green oil, too. But... It was interesting because texturally you were, it's panna cotta. It's a jiggly white thing and some fruit, but flavor wise is the almond dumplings were you know, neutral to savory. So I was eating it and a part of me, my, my brain kept yelling like, Oh, you're, you're eating panna cotta. Where's the sweetness? You know, I was like looking for the sweetness. And, you know, I was there with my wife. We had a little date night and she was like, this is amazing. I love this dessert. You said it's one of your favorite desserts of the year. Maybe maybe that might be too far, but no, it's not. It was, uh, it was an exciting thing. It's a, it's fun to see a dish that can be, you kind of have to wrestle with a little bit. And earlier in the, in, in the, in that meal, I don't know if you, I think you, you probably did have this. There was a, a dish that you could also classify as uh, the dessert, but it was actually like the fourth course or something. It was house made tofu. It was strawberries, fresh strawberries, and coriander. And again, it was very unique, very different, very creative, and it worked. Yeah, fruit plus a savory neutral thing that is non-dairy but looks like dairy. That is the that was the running theme at this restaurant. I don't know how we started talking about Berlou, but oh yeah, fruit on a plate. Right. Okay. So, you know, maximizing flavor. And that's something I think all of these chefs at the very high end are great at, which is you know, the flavor that you're like, if you think of coconut, how can you take that flavor and 
get the most out of it. You know, I mean, I think that's where the skill lies. So that plus presentation and, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? Is that everything? Tales of the Cocktail. Oh, that's right. We have a best bar in the world. World's <laughs> best bar. Just was named. Well, there's many categories, and they're usually divided up into American categories and international categories. But there are a couple of categories that are world categories. And every year, they name the world's best bar. And wait, let me ask you something. Uh-huh. Does it get retired after each year? You can only win no, it once. No, the Connet has won twice. Oh, okay. So I'm assuming, unless they've changed the rules because of Connet winning two times. Hmm. Uh, early on, so maybe like there have been 14 or 15 of these winners because that's how long Tales of the Cocktail Spirit Awards have been around. Uh, mostly it was, it's been dominated by New York bars. Um, last, this, and the winner this year was Dante in New York City on McDougal Street. I go there a lot. I love that bar. <laughs> We've talked I, about it before. I drink Negronis there. Uh, Naren Young. Is is oversees everything the bar, from the bar at um, Dante. It's fantastic. Go there. The last three one, three winners prior to that were all London bars. The American bar at the Savoy. There was the Connet bar again and Dandelion. So and I and I do love London bars. I think London has the best cocktail scene in the world. Not even close. I think next year there'll be a Singapore bar who will win because Singapore, in my opinion, is the second best bar scene in the world. And I think it'll be Atlas, the the gin based bar. And I went there this year, and it's the most it's an absolutely gorgeous, awe inspiring bar. There's they must have like a thousand bottles of gin there. Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't even know there was that much gin in the world. I know, right? And I know I normally do not like gin, but I had a couple of cocktails there. I met up with some Portland people, Shauna and Connor, who were actually in Singapore at the time. And well, I mean, well, the uh, I don't know how the judging works for that competition, but well, the judges. Presumably, you'll have to have enough judges go to Singapore and try the bar. Oh, I'm, sure to, do, I'm sure they all travel the world. Out. Yeah, yeah I mean, enough. yeah. Okay, well, we've talked about sweets, we've talked about uh, cocktails, and yeah. maybe it's time to sign off. Yes. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Bye bye. Um, talk to you guys soon. See ya.